Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Everything I needed to know is in Genesis, the first 11 chapters. Genesis 1 through 11 has everything I need to know and everything you need to know about the Lord and living in the world and how the world was made and all of those things. So I'm going to spend the next two hours and 15 minutes going through Genesis 1 through 11 for you. Now I'm not really going to do that. But it's been a year where every time we step out and try to figure out where to put our feet, that our feet come out from underneath us. Every time we think we have something figured out, something moves. Every time we think we've got a, a, an answer to a riddle, the riddle changes. And then where do we go and what do we do and how do we figure it out? The Lord knew that when the book of Genesis was inspired by His Holy Spirit. He knew that His people were going to need to be able to stand on something solid and, and firm. And so those marvelous first words, in the beginning God created. In the beginning God created. It's got a marvelous ring to it. It's strong and solid. It means that I'm not the originator and creator of anything. And it also means that if God created everything, that He is the center of creation and not me or you or anybody else. Even the President of the United States, the leaders of the big nations of the world, they are not the center of all creation. But in Genesis 1, we have a theocentric, a God-centered worldview. In the beginning, God created. And in Genesis 2, God creates order into creation and sustains the created order of all things. Somehow babies are born. Somehow life goes on. Somehow the, the, the earth, the world, people, life goes on. There are systems, there are processes, there are cycles that are ordered into creation that sustains the created order. Genesis 3, man sins. And sometimes we don't give sin its due. But as sin is presented in Genesis chapter 3, it's pervasive. Sin is not something that we kind of look at and say, well, that's kind of no big deal. Sin equals death. Sin equals brokenness. And yet in the midst of that sin, God would redeem humanity and creation. And then Genesis 4 through 11, the marvelous stories of a dysfunctional family that needs a Messiah and redemption more than they could ever understand. Until finally things get so evil and so broken that God says, I'm going to save a handful on this ark and I'm just going to kind of start over. But the ones I save on this ark are going to preserve the gift and the promise that I made of a Messiah to redeem the world. And there's the sermon for today. That's basically it, simple and easy. And yet in the last year, it's hard to, it, it, it's kind of hard to get your arms around that, that God is the center of everything because we have been scattered and fractured 
and been led to believe that God is kind of on the outside of everything looking in, when the reality is that God has put himself in the center of the universe for us and for our sake, so that when we as Christians put a foot down, we put it down on a strong foundation, a mighty fortress, and that there's strength and courage and character that comes in being in a covenantal relationship with God. What a marvelous gift that is. This morning we stop at Genesis chapter 3. Marvelous chapter. Chapter where God has created everything and then everything gets a little bit crazy. So God set up the trees in the garden. He said to Adam and Eve, in order to demonstrate love for me, just don't eat of the tree of life and the tree of good and evil. Everything else is yours. Everything else is beautiful and perfect and and wonderful. Your relationship is like this. The relationship between you and the earth. The relationship between Adam and Eve. The relationship between God and humanity. All is set right. You just show obedience and love. And you can eat of all the trees of the garden except. And the scripture for this morning shows that they were tempted and they ate. Everything I needed to know I learned in Genesis, right? Everything I needed to know about sin is is right here. And if we think sin is no big deal and that preachers can just kind of back off and say, well, you know, sin is bad, but God is good and everything's fine. And here's three steps to a happier life. I think that depth of preaching isn't getting the job done in 21st century America The nature of sin is blame. Adam blames Eve. God comes down and says, where are you? What happened? Did you eat from the tree? And Adam in perfect man style says what? It's not me, it's her. She did it. She messed this whole thing up. It's not me. And Eve looks at the serpent and says, the snake, he's the one who did it. If you've ever been caught in a sin, you know exactly how this works. It's not my fault. It's not about me. It's about them. They put me in the context of sin. I'm not accountable, responsible, or... And then that horrible piece that's associated with sin, of shame. Who told you you were naked? Before this, there was no shame in the world. Adam and Eve looked at one another with these marvelous, innocent eyes. And yet in sin, they now looked at one another and themselves with a sense of shame, that they were naked and they, and they couldn't cover themselves. So God used to come down and hang out with them and, and, and whatever they talked about, I don't know, but it was a beautiful thing, this perfect communion with God. And then, and then sin came and brought this horrible shame so that instead of hanging out with God, they, they covered themselves and hid from Him. And the other side of the coin from shame is guilt. Guilt is like luggage that you carry around with you. Welcome to my family. Here's the guilt that our family carries for where we've been in our history. I'll just put that down in our living room and it will color every conversation that we ever have. And then when I go to another relationship, I'll pick up the guilt and move it into every bit of relational collateral that I have in my life. Sin produces guilt. And sin breaks things. Sin separates 
It's so clear in Genesis chapter 3 that, that sin separates. And, and the Lord God, as He speaks to the serpent, to Adam, and to Eve, articulates exactly the separation of sin. God from humanity. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? What, what's going on? We had it all together. It was all beautiful. What's going on? And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are running away from God instead of running toward Him. And it seems as if in the last couple thousand years since then, that humanity has been running farther and farther away from God. A horrible brokenness in that relationship causing a great need for humanity to be redeemed. And sin separates good from evil. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve knew right from wrong, good from evil. And, and that created the problem of more sin in a dysfunctional family that was theirs in the latter chapter 4 and, and, and on with Cain, with Cain and Eve, Cain and Abel. And sin separates men and women. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, the Lord says to Eve. And the pain that goes with that the conflict between men and women, whether in and out of marriage or in and out of families or politically and all of that stuff is a function of sin separating men from women and creating painful pieces of life. And also humanity from the earth. The Lord said, in pain, in toil, you will grow your food and, and subdue the earth. And so it shouldn't surprise us that there's pain and brokenness in our earth, in our world, in creation. So is the pervasive nature of sin. And then as I've mentioned already, the power of family dynamics and the pain that goes on there. If we want to find dysfunctional families in Scripture, we don't have to look far. Just turn the page from Genesis chapter 3 and look at chapter 4 and 5 and 6 and 7. Look at Noah in Genesis chapter 10. And things kind of go bonkers. Where have you been over the last year? And where's your heart and soul today? What are the things that you're thinking about? And where do you want to go with your life and your heart, with your decisions? And where are we going together as a people? Because one of two things is true as you look at Genesis chapter 3. You either believe that the world is getting better and better and human systems will lead us to a better world. If we elect the right person, if we vote for the right thing, if we have the right policies, if we just do this, if humanity just collaborates and comes together and everything works the way it's supposed to work, if we just have the right curriculum for this, if we just know this, hold that, have this, follow this person, then everything will get better. And if you believe that, then it's been a very difficult time for you. Sleepless nights, lines across your forehead, bags under your eyes, and a tenseness to your soul. But Genesis gives us another opportunity to look. You may believe that the world is devolving from the effect of sin and the pervasive nature of sin, and that man's efforts are imperfect. But God's solution 
is the redemption of all things. Everything I ever needed to know about God is right here in the book of Genesis. From Genesis chapter 3, our text today, Genesis 3 verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God had a plan and God was working and God wasn't asleep at the wheel and God didn't look at Adam and say, well, you screwed this all up. You got to fix it. Adam didn't look at Eve and say, well, you screwed this all up and you got to fix it. And they certainly both didn't look at the serpent and say, you screwed this all up and you got to fix it. Rather, God picked up responsibility for his creation and the brokenness of his creation. And he said, down the road, Adam and Eve are going to have babies and their babies' babies and their babies' babies and their babies' babies. And ultimately, through the seed of the woman, the head of the devil, the evil one, will be crushed. And it's going to hurt the seed of the woman because you will strike his heel. But redemption will come through the seed of the woman. And if you look just beyond our text, it says, and Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. He could have named her Moat because she was the mother of the dead. But he heard the promise of the gospel, the promise of the Redeemer, the promise of the Messiah, that would come through the seed of Eve. Everything I ever needed to know, everything I needed to know is right here. That in the midst of a pandemic and social unrest, in the midst of 21st century America that seems to be as crazy as crazy can be, what I know and what I hold on to in faith And what I proclaim to you is that God is at the center of the universe. Amen? Amen. And nothing and no one can supplant God from His throne at the center of the universe. Therefore, I will not worry and I will not obsess because I know that my Redeemer lives and at the end He will stand upon the earth. And no matter what goes on down here, up above, is where God who created all things good and beautiful and perfect is working to redeem his world and restore a right relationship with his people. Everything I need to know is right here. God is at the center of the universe. My anxieties, my fears, all of the things that are creating stress in my heart are laid at the feet of the one who sits on the throne. And so my anxiety finds resolution in that promise. Everything I need to know is that there's a bigger story than mine. That if God is at the center of the universe, then I am not at the center of the universe. Therefore, I do not have responsibility for all the decisions of all the world and all the things that go on. There is a bigger story that is unfolding. In Genesis 1, it's a story of creation. In Genesis 2, it's a story of created order. In Genesis 3, it's brokenness and sin and the promise of a Redeemer. And from Genesis 3 on, it's the story of God working to bring His Son into the world. And God Himself has grafted you and me into the story, into the covenant 
work of his redemption made real in you and me. That's how it works. The story is bigger than 2020, 2021. The story is bigger than Republican and Democrat. The story is bigger than happy and sad. The story is God plowing through human garbage to bring his redemption into the world. And no matter how mankind twists and turns and freaks out, God never quits and God never fails. And the story is not just a tweet or a Facebook post. The story is etched in the hearts and lives of God's people, lasting from generation to generation to generation. There's a bigger story than mine. And that's God grafting me into His story. Everything I ever needed to know, I learned in the book of Genesis. And I learned that God was going to work in history through kings and prophets, through simple, humble folk, through people who would be moved from house and home and family, to people who would go through pandemics, to people who would be messed around with by the powerful forces and powerful nations. But God was using all of those circumstances to bring forth the ultimate seed of the woman so that in a stable in Bethlehem, Mary would have that baby, wrap him in swaddling clothes, and lie him in a manger. And the prophecy of Genesis 3.15 is made real for us. God works in history. He does not abandon His people. He does not walk away. But He brings redemption to you and me, forgiveness of sins for you and me through the gift of a baby, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. How Adam and Eve looked forward to the redemption that would come in the seed, in their seed. And we look back this day at a manger, at a baby, at our redemption made real in the person of Jesus Christ. And instead of being fearful, we hold on in faith tenaciously to the gift of that baby and the redemption that we have in Christ and Christ alone. Everything I needed to know I learned in Genesis 1 through 11. And that is that my life and your life is covered and protected by God's immediate action. Interesting that Adam tried to cover himself and his wife with fig leaves. I offered that you shouldn't do that. I'm glad that Adam didn't grab poison ivy or poison oak or we would really be in trouble. God kind of pushes Adam out of the way. I can see God with kind of an indignant thing saying, you've got to be kidding me. I created you. I made you. And the best you can do is fig leaves. You can't even cover your own shame. You can't even cover yourself. So God reaches down with the sacrifice of an animal, providing covering for Adam and Eve, for their sins in the blood of the animal and of their bodies in the skins and the clothing that he made for them. There's times over this last year where I've done and said things of which I am ashamed. I would have just been quiet, but I just mellowed out. And I'm reminded that in, in this text, 
that my life and my sins are covered and I am protected by God's immediate action in my life and so are you. The sins of the past do not come to haunt us. The guilt is shipped away. The shame is covered. And we are with the Lord. Everything I needed to know, I learned in the book of Genesis. My wife and I will be in Gallup, New Mexico next Sunday morning. How about that? Trinity Lutheran Church in Gallup has 38 members. How about that? That's a whole different thing than we've got 50 people in our choir this morning. Whenever new people go into a church like that in a little bitty town in the middle of nowhere, they, people go, <gasps> New people, this is great. From there, we're going to bus north up to Cortez and spend next Monday at, what's it called? Mesa Verde National Park. What an awesome place. And so as I disengage from work, and it'll be the first time that I've disengaged from ministry since last February of, February of 2020, I'll be gone for two Sundays But there's some things that I've been reflecting on this week that I wanted to share with you, specifically about our congregation and our congregational life. Big picture things rather than little picture things. My grandson knows nothing of life except a pandemic. How about that? Born in the absolute middle of the most difficult time that our country's gone through in years. And that's him trying to slurp down a bean or edamame or something. I'm not sure. We fed our kids banana and rice cereal, and my, they don't do that. They feed him everything. He eats curry, chicken curry. It's amazing, but whatever. I learned about a brokenness in humanity. And we can run, but we can't hide from it. Sickness, illness, disease, divorce, violence, racism, gender dysphoria. I never really felt that way before except for the last year and a half. There's an optimism and a hope in Pastor Tim Klinkenberg that always kind of saw beyond all the broken stuff. And perhaps the, 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 the phase of life we're in and the amount of hurting people has led me to realize this. And it's a realization of a mature person, not a kid. Humanity is broken. And the answer to the brokenness of humanity is found in God and in His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I believe that healing comes in the community with other Christians. Our church has really stood tall over this last year. There's any number of times we could have quit. I see Dr. Hollitz and his family in church today. Jake was the first person in all of Orange County to go down and knock on Dr. Chow's door and say, we want a voucher, we want a, we want a, a, a document to get our school open, let's go. And the community that's happened in our school and preschool, the amount of support that's been here on Sunday morning, the amount of support that's been in our life groups, the healing for humanity's brokenness comes in community with other Christians as we share Jesus Christ with one another. And blessings can be found in the simplest of events. A grandson 
pat on the back, a wedding in Orange Park Acres, a wedding in somebody's backyard, a preschooler stopping me on the gateway and saying, hey, who are you? I hope that over this last year you found blessings everywhere you've turned because, boy, God has been good to us. And that gratitude is one of the most powerful gifts of God. Of all the things that God could provide, a grateful spirit is a marvelously powerful gift. I hope that when they write the history of St. John's Orange, for 2020 and 2021, that they write about the grateful hearts of the people who are here. Because you guys are something else. A grateful spirit allows us to stay mellow and focused on the Lord Jesus. When days are tough. And finally, never ever give up hope. Never ever concede to the negativity and the pervasive nature of the brokenness of sin. What I love about Genesis 3.15 is that immediately when sin had been executed and started its hideous wave across the earth and the universe, that God himself stepped in and said, here's hope. A Messiah is on the way. He will redeem and restore the world. He will redeem and restore the relationship between men and women. He will reach in, redeem, and restore relationships among human beings. And oh, by the way, at the end, He will take you into paradise to be with the Lord God forever. Never, ever, ever give up hope in the Lord. I'd like to ask the choir, if they do me a favor this morning, if they could turn to page four in their bulletin, and I'd just like to sing the chorus of 10,000 Reasons together as I close my 25-minute sermon this morning. I figured I wanted to give you two more weeks to, you know, Pastor Trevor only preach for 10 minutes next week. You'll be in great shape. I'd invite you to join me as we sing together the, the chorus of Bless the Lord, O My Soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like ever before, O my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. Amen.